Welcome to Roundhill Radio, the podcast from Roundhill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. What are we learning about today? We are learning about a fantastic, upbeat, joy-filled little letter called the Letter to the Philippians. 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 So it's going to be a good good way to get our week started, Monday morning. Great. Let's yeah. dive in. Let's go for All it. All right. Let's launch right in. In fact, this week, I'm going to launch right in with the reading itself. Um, so first of all, this is a tiny section from this letter to the Philippians. It was written by Paul, uh, who was one of the great missionaries of the early church, just constantly moving out into the Mediterranean world, starting these little churches. Then he had to figure out how to keep in touch with them. Then problems, you know, cropped up all over the place and he had to deal with that. So um, this letter is really unique because he clearly had a soft spot in his heart for the Philippians. And that'll become a little clearer. The why of that will become clearer as we delve into the letter. But I've chosen this passage which is a passage that is often quoted from this letter, and it is often used on the third Sunday of the season of Advent. So it's it's just one of those passages that I think Christians historically have liked to include uh, on the third Sunday of Advent, which is often the time when we celebrate Mary's ministry. And the candle has a unique color on the third Sunday. It's pink rather than blue. So so in this letter, he says to his friends, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the traditional reading usually ends there, but I've added two verses. He says to them, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So that's a reading from the letter to the Philippians to get us started. So should we take a moment to breathe there, see if there's any response, and then I'll... Uh, yeah, that's what, what, a, what a rich reading. Um, is the, the, the part in the middle about keeping your hearts and minds, is that where the traditional benediction comes from? It does. It's fantastic that you noticed this. Well done. Thank you. Gold star. <laughs> Gold star for the week. You're all set. One of the interesting things about Paul is that he, like preachers, he, he likes to quote things. And it's believed that this passage, maybe in its entirety, or at least part of it, was in fact a benediction mm. that had been used either by him or by someone else. Maybe he heard it, liked it, and then decided to use it for himself. So we think that he actually does this several times. We have several of them in his letters, and he drops them in. 
He doesn't you often use them at the end where they go. You, normally, the benediction concludes a service. Um, but in, his, in Paul's case, he like sprinkles them into the letters, which is really lovely. And you're absolutely right. He has, it is this sense of, you know, keep, may God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so it's, it's something that he's decided to say to them in the middle of the letter rather than at the end. So it's a nice feature of his writing, I think. Yeah, it's a very um, a very active reading. It's a very like go forth and here's what you can focus on and here's what you can do and here's go. You know, yes. it has a very very uh, invigorating, momentum making kind of reading. Yeah, yeah, momentum making for sure. I think it's really interesting for starters that you know he doesn't suggest that they rejoice. He tells them to rejoice. <laughs> do it. <laughs> do it. Don't wait for it to happen. You know? Don't don't stumble on it. Make it happen now. And I love that because uh, it's a little countercultural because we a lot of I think our thinking is that you know we like the feeling to bubble up whenever it bubbles up. You know we don't want to manufacture the feeling. But Paul. Um, he was writing in some especially difficult circumstances, and he was also writing to a beloved congregation that was experiencing some difficulty. So I think that what he uh, is really saying to them is that don't don't wait to have your praise party. Get by the balloons, get it set up, and then you know maybe later you'll feel the joy. But go ahead and rejoice. So actually, it's an imperative in the verb form. It's a command. Yeah, and um, that's kind of an interesting thing for us to think about. You know, let's not wait around for it to happen to us. Let's create the conditions for it to happen. Absolutely. And in, in music composition a lot, we talk about the power of repetition, of mm-hmm. saying something twice means we really, really, really mean it. Yeah. Um, and he says, again, I say, right? Rejoice. Right. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> I really mean it. I wasn't, did I stop? Did I mutter? <laughs> did I mumble? <laughs> Was I not clear? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost as if he anticipates that, you know, they're going to hear this, rejoice in the Lord always, and someone's going to say, excuse me, you know, do you know what kind of day I had today? (laughs) And then he, so he says, again, I will say rejoice. It must have been an interesting moment, right? When they were, somebody was reading this and thought, wow, is he here? (laughs) Is he hearing my thoughts? Yeah. Uh, So it's so, he's so emphatic about it. Um, And I think this is interesting because Advent We've been talking about Advent as a period of waiting that corresponds to moments of waiting in human life, when we have to, um, you know, be still, practice silence, we have to be patient for whatever it is that we're waiting for, that's hard. And yet, in the, right in the middle of that comes this moment of jubilation, you know, rejoice for the thing that's coming which again is, can be a little countercultural for us. And it corresponds, of course, this text is often read in alignment with Mary's Magnificat, you know, when she says, my soul rejoices in God, right? And she's got something, something has happened to her that gives her cause for rejoicing. I think Paul is actually saying the same thing. Something has happened that gives us cause for rejoicing. And that is the energy that he saw in Jesus and the compassion, that's already in the world. Mm-hmm. So he's saying because of that, go ahead and rejoice. I love that. And the, and the joy in the preparation of the thing. Yeah. I mean, from like a simple 
practical standpoint of the joy of putting up Christmas decorations, the, sure. the preparation of, you know, I know every year I think about, oh, you know, what's going to be celebrated in that space as I'm making it more beautiful and more yes. sparkly and there's glitter flying everywhere. You know, it's <laughs> like a mini, you have like a little mini experience of Christmas as you're doing it, I think is yeah. half the fun. It's that anticipation and that preparing the space yep. for the celebration. Um, and is that not what we do in our hearts during Advent? Mm. It's preparing right. that space for the celebration as well. Well, I think what you're saying so well is that there's the joy of fulfillment when something happens. And that's a kind of a satisfaction experience, but there is this joy of anticipation. And that's part of what makes Christmas, the Christmas season so wonderful, right? It's anticipating. And this is going to be a challenge this year. We recognize this. A lot of the anticipation often comes from the, the thought of seeing loved ones or being reunited with loved ones. And we're having to be creative about this this year. It doesn't mean that it can't happen. It can't happen in the usual way, but we can still figure out ways of doing that. And that can bring its own joy. Um, you know, it's interesting. Elsewhere in his letters, St. Paul says, I am sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Hmm. And that's really a provocative line yeah, because I think that he was a person who clearly lived a hard life. He was imprisoned on, we, we think he was imprisoned on multiple occasions. It's not always exactly clear, but sometimes you, it has this sense that he's kind of roused up the people uh, wherever he's been. He's caused some public disturbance. And, uh, so that's gotten him in trouble. He's also been in trouble because he was a very strong and public leader within the Jewish community. And then he kind of alienated himself in some ways from that, even though he did, that wasn't his intention. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was constantly dealing with church conflict. Great. And uh, he had some kind of a physical illness issue. There's a, there is some suspicion that Paul might have suffered from epilepsy. And that this uh, impacted, he, that he was very ill on occasion, seems to be clear, and that he, you know, sometimes had these moments where he was incapacitated. Uh, they weren't moments, I'm sorry, you know, they were really periods of days or even months when he simply could not function well and had to be cared for. And I think the reason he has a soft spot for the soft spot in his heart for the Philippians. I think that they really appreciated him and they really cared for him at a time in his life when he needed that. And even though he, so he was in prison when he wrote this letter. So this is part of what gives it its special energy mm -hmm. is that here's a man who's in prison saying, rejoice, rejoice, and I will say it again. Apparently the Philippians had sent gifts to him via a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus arrived, delivered the gifts, and then became incredibly ill. Oh. So, yeah. So on top of all this, here's the gift giver who's fallen ill. So he has to, he, he has to get nursed back to health before he can take a letter back to the Philippians. <laughs> I mean, this is how it worked. So you know, much going on. 2000 yeah. years ago. So this is some of the context of the letter, which I think makes it uh, all the more important to know that. So. Yeah, celebration in the midst of chaos. Indeed. Yeah. We have a question. Great. Uh, it starts with a comment. It says, what an encouraging passage. 
This might sound like a simple question, but what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord as Philippians 4.4 refers to? Mm. It seems to imply that there is hope in God that can't be found anywhere else. Mm, That's a beautiful question. Well, I think, uh, so the questioner is absolutely right. This is what Paul is saying. There is a confidence that can be found in God that you can't find anywhere else. And so why does Paul think that? Well, he, because as much as he loves the Philippians and he loves the Corinthians and he loves the Thessalonians, it's like there's always a crisis. There's always something going on, right? So there's in the community, it's a church. There it is. There you know? it is. <laughs> Stuff is always simmering somewhere. Sure. And so he understands that if you're looking for peace, Probably not the optimum place to be. You know, this is a community that needs formation and growing and encouragement. It's not always going to be a a, a generator of peace. Mm -hmm. And then he also recognizes that in the wider world, he can't find that peace either. This is, after all, a Roman-occupied world. He's living in the Roman Empire. There's brutality and there's, you know, tremendous mistreatment of women, children, the poor, those who are ill. Paul sees that. So where does he find something that is distinct from all of that in it and yet beyond it? He finds it in God. And actually, more specifically, uh, in Paul's case, he will use the phrase in Christ. So I think he feels that as long as there's this invisible umbilical cord Mm -hmm. connecting him with the energy of Christ, that unique life love force of Jesus... He feels that no matter where he is, he's in prison or he isn't in prison. He has enough to eat. He doesn't have enough to eat. He's always connecting with that. And that gives him the strength to show gentleness to other people. And in fact, he says in this letter, you know, he wants them. uh, he, He tells him, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Well, where does he find that? He finds that in Jesus. That's where his model is. And so I think that, uh, you know, as the questioner has posed this, there is a unique hope and confidence that he finds in God, but more specifically in Christ and in the way that Christ responds to this world, both the inner tensions of being with other people of faith and the external tensions of living in a world that's often at war with itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say one other thing about that, because there's a little interesting, there's some interesting words that appear in this text. Towards the end of it, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So last night I looked up the the Greek behind this, and the verb to guard is actually, a he's using a specifically military term. Hmm. And it's the term that's used for a sentry who's on guard. Okay, so keep watch over, kind of. Yeah, so he imagines God as on someone who's on permanent sentry duty, looking mm-hmm. out for us, which is a lovely image, right? Because if you're like me, constantly scanning the horizon for the next thing to be anxious about, <laughs> not, not a great way to live, by the way. Not helpful uh, right now. <laughs> not really helpful. Well, here he's saying that God is actually, you know, we like to use the phrase, God has got, you know, we've got your back. I've got your back. That's the phrase. Actually, the way Paul's saying it is God's on guard duty. Mm. God is looking out all the time, 24-7. And 
So the implication is trust that, have confidence in that. And uh, so be alert, yes, but anxious, no. Mm. You know, so things happen in, in life and in the world that are challenging and not pleasant. So that's why we need to be as alert as a sentry, but not anxious because there's the resources that God is providing to help us move through that. So that would be my very long answer to the question. <laughs> so how do we tie this reading to Christmas? Yeah, so we know it's a good Advent reading because it's used always on the same Sunday as, we, as the Sunday when we lift up the words of Mary. It's a great Christmas reading, though, because even Christmas in the first century, obviously, the celebration of Christmas was something people celebrated as light in a dark time. So I think Paul, in a sense, is giving us an example. I think you said it well earlier, Leslie. He's celebrating in the midst of chaos. Mm -hmm. And I think that Christmas is really about having that. It might be a little, little, little light, but it's just enough to keep you going. And uh, when I think of this passage as a great passage to think about for Christmas, I think about a woodcut by a German artist, Fritz Eichenberg was his name. He lived during the early part of the 20th century, immigrated from Germany, uh, made his living here in the United States, was an artist. And he created a woodcut once of a manger scene. And the manger is, you know, it's very rustic and it's, there's hay. And right in the middle of it is this baby. And there's just a little illumination around this baby. Not much, but a little. But what you see in the background when you look at the horizon are flames. It's as if the, a fire has broken out. And this is Eichenberg's artistic way of saying that the light of Jesus was born into a world that was in a sense, it was on fire. And it was a dangerous world that consumed people's lives and energies and well-being. And yet the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And this, I think, was something that Paul felt in his life, and he wanted to communicate that to his readers. And, and that's why he says to them, I'm your example to follow. You know, I had this really awful experience, but I'm finding a way to say, rejoice. That would be my sense of a good connection with Christmas. Yeah. Do we know much about this community that he was writing to? So the little community in Philippi, so Philippi, was a Greek city in the northern part of Greece. Uh, I think it was a significant crossroads for trade and culture. It was a good place to, to start a church because there was so much movement going through there. Um, I don't know that we know very much at all about the congregation itself in terms of its composition sociologically, but we do know a couple of interesting things about why it was, it was having some trouble. I mean, even though Paul writes this, these beautiful words, it sounds so upbeat, but there were some real fault lines in that congregation. So part of it, uh, apparently after Paul left, I mean, he may have stayed there for a year or two working with this congregation. Then he left to continue to do his work. Apparently alternative teachers started to show up. Yeah. The pastor left and then <laughs> other pastors showed up. Uh-oh. <laughs> yep. Uh-oh. And their messages, uh, whatever they were saying to the congregation, it wasn't exactly clear, but Paul does reference them and, and, and not in a very positive way. Then there's a second group. He only refers to this group as opponents who cause them suffering. 
So is this somebody in the local um, civic world uh, who's, you know, connected with the Roman rule, again, causing this church some kind of persecution? It's not clear, but there's the, it's, it seems that there is some force of people or a leader, a local leader, that's causing the people suffering. And then inside this church, there are two women who are not, dis- not agreeing with each other. And he references them openly in the letter. So these two individuals apparently were very prominent in their leadership and he trusted them and needed them. Uh, I'm not exactly clear about what what it was that caused the trouble um, between them, but something. So in his references to them, he uses a phrase that he uses elsewhere in the letter. He says, be of the same mind. And he will say in this letter, may the, may the same mind that was in Jesus Christ be in you. So he's trying to say to all of them, let's get on the same page here. Yeah. And he does single out those two women. And I would say in a pretty, for Paul, a pretty gentle way. Hmm. Um, he understands, he, he loves these people. It's very clear. He has a very strong sense of affection. So that's, uh, that's what we know about, about them. And of course, uh, what we do know about Paul is that he was writing from prison at this time. That seems pretty certain. And he may have written as many as four different letters from prison. Um, You know, there's a lot of debate about that. But that's what's going back and forth. And I think about this. So here's this time we're in. Global pandemic. Coming up on the holidays, we're hearing in the news that there's an upsurge in cases, and there's concern about what the holidays are going to be like. So we're living in a world that feels for us in our own way, you know, shut down in many ways, where we don't experience the normal kind of liberties that we would have enjoyed in the past. And so I think we can tap this letter uh, to say, you know, here again, he's inviting us to move into Christ. You know, he's inviting us to experience a deeper communion with God so that we can wake up and, and get face to face with these anxieties. Look them squarely in the eye. <laughs> Say, I'm not going to let you rule my day. And, um, and I think he wants us really to be that kind of forceful about it. And then the next stage after that is he says, you know, let your gentleness be shown to everyone. So it's interesting. He's not just talking about the people in the congregation. He wants them to be ambassadors for this kindness to the whole world around him. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It's amazing. Thought, right? Yeah. The, 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 uh, the soloist and I yesterday were discussing what this experience would have been like if it had happened even 10, 15 years ago. Right. Yeah. Without the amount of technology and, and just ease of, yes. you know, I think 20 years ago I had dial up internet. <laughs> I can still hear the sound <laughs> in my yep. head. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> um, but what a thing to rejoice in that, that we are able to have a Bible study like this. Yeah. And I can see you and you're 10 miles away from me right now. And we have friends here with us asking questions. I think it's that in and of itself is... Um, a very happy thing. Yeah. Well, I get, I'll just share a couple of other thoughts here in case we do get another question or, um, 
You know, when he says rejoice always, I did a little digging into that word. And, and part of what he's after there, he wants people to make a conscious ongoing decision about this. So that when he uses this particular form of this verb to rejoice in the way that he uses it, it's really, he's really saying he's, he's getting something started and he wants them to keep it going. So joy in his view is as much a choice as it is a fleeting feeling. You know, it's kind of a decision. I remember Martin Luther King Jr. said that forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a permanent attitude. Mm -hmm. So I think for him, that, that fits in. And the other thing I want to say, there is a really interesting term in the middle of this or phrase. He says, the Lord is near. And uh, Paul clearly believed that that there was going to be a great summation of history during his lifetime, that Christ who had lived and died was going to be returning in some form and bringing meaning and purpose to all of history. And that did not happen in the way that he anticipated it. And yet there's another side of that phrase, the Lord is near, that is timeless. And that is the sense of this, you could say it's an elusive presence, and yet it is always present. Mm -hmm. And Paul leans into that. He feel, You get the sense that he feels that presence. And that presence gives him courage. It gives him the ability to see the world through a different lens. Uh, and to keep his attitude focused on a sense of possibility. I think he, he believes that wherever Christ is present, miracles are possible. And so I like this phrase the Lord is near because it it's comforting, it's reassuring, but it's also an invitation, you know, to go out into the world and to be near others as Christ was near us. Even if we can't do that during this time of physical distancing in, in physical ways, as you said, we can do it through the internet, we can do it by writing cards, we can do it with the phone. All of those become ways of reaching out to the world. Absolutely. And to what you just said, we actually had a question on the exact same thing, but it's a little bit of a twist at the end. So I'd love to read it to you. Oh, good. Uh, we have, I, su I assume the, I don't know how to pronounce this word. Is it epistles? Epistles, yes. Epistles. Yep. Musician, sorry. I assume the epistles are among the earliest Christian writings. My RSV Bible reads part of chapter four, verse five, as the Lord is at hand, which you have as the Lord is near, right? Mm -hmm. Which is linked to the call to rejoice. So is Paul talking about an imminent second coming? If so, is this reading to us now? Mm. Well, I think, I think the answer is yes on all counts. <laughs> um, yeah, Paul really was thinking about an imminent second coming. He, he really, the only place he starts to let go of that is when he starts writing his letter to the Romans. He's gotten the sense that he's been around for quite a while. And I think he becomes concerned that he's creating a promise that is not going to be fulfilled anytime soon. So he starts to move in a different direction. Well, because a lot of early church... His policy basically was based on the idea that the second coming was right away. I mean, within it was the right around the corner. Yeah, it was right around the corner. So much, so much of that, right? Yeah, and you know, I mean that that belief has obviously continued to feed people of faith for many hundreds of years, um, but it's it's an expectation that's constantly disappointed. So what? 
the second part of the question is that, yes, I think now this phrase is addressed to us. The nearness that we feel is not so much the imminence of a second coming, but all of all of the joy and goodness that came along with the first coming. I remember a colleague said to me once, he said, I wish people wouldn't be so you know, preoccupied with the second coming. We haven't even figured out the first coming yet. You know, <laughs> what did all of that mean? And there's more enough there, you know, more than enough in that to help us through our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the Lord is near is intended to be a comforting, um, comforting, as I said, and also invitational message, right? To be near others as the Lord is near to us. And one thing I know we were saying just a little bit earlier, Leslie, before we got started, but the uh, this letter was written and distributed to people who were already living the Christian faith quite a while before the Christmas stories were created and circulating. So what we think of as our incredibly important Christmas stories, those came later. And Paul is already writing to Christians in Philippi and Thessalonica and probably one or two other places before all of those other stories have been collected by the people we now call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So for him, he didn't have all those stories necessarily, but he had these little phrases like the Lord is near. And they sustained those Christian communities for all those years until the gospels were formed and the movement really took off. It sounds like it was a very uh, confusing time. You know, we mm. think of, of our, our, well, our religion as a very sort of mostly sort of a set, you know, we, we can disagree about a lot of things, but there's, I feel like there's some basic tenets that were like, yes, this and this and this and this that mm-hmm. we can hang our hats on. Um, and that Christmas is such a pervasive culture thing, you know, beyond even the scope of faith. And so the idea that that wasn't um, overly, uh, that that wasn't even circulated was such an interesting idea when yeah. Christianity was happening, but it didn't have so many stories that we are so, especially as children, so inspired by That's and right. our imagination so much to play with. We have a comment that says, I imagine that St. Paul would have really liked the Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I think that is fair to say. Yes, indeed. <laughs> to he me, it's not s- Advent without that hymn. We have to have that at some point. <laughs> we do indeed. Yeah, he would have sung it with gusto, right? I mean, he just, you know, he was a man who ached for the world to be at peace with itself. And he had this, he has this wonderful, wonderful line. He said, the whole creation is groaning in anticipation of this new day of birth. I mean, this is, this is a man, I mean, it, he's not just talking about the church there. He's talking about the whole creation. Here we are 2,000 years removed from him, and we're still singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as our way of saying yes to what Paul was longing for 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he would have loved that hymn, and he would have loved Advent anticipation for sure. Yeah. It's the hope for, for so much. I feel, excuse me. I feel like this Christmas, the, the hope for, for the peace and for the healing. And there's so much tied up with the Christmas to me Mm. this year, you know, that, 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 that's that sense of, of things being 
a little bit better mm-hmm. in so mm-hmm. many ways for, for me, I think is, uh, it's all kind of tied up with that. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Well, I think that when we're getting ready for Christmas this year, carried as we, as we are by these great passages from the past, you know, and we've looked at the little letter of James and now the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, now St. Paul, these are people who were stirring the pot, you know, a long time ago. And it's interesting, there's such a theme of such caring about unity in Paul, which we need today. You know, there's always a sense we hear so much about the divisiveness that we experience as a culture, politically, religiously, in so many different ways. Here's a voice that's saying, you know, be of the same mind. And, um, and again, we, we long for gentleness and kindness. Here's a person who says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. So voices from the past, but very much for the present and for the future. So I'm, I'm grateful that we have them. Absolutely. It makes me think of um, a th- uh, something I heard the other day. I apologize. I can't quote the author. I'm not sure who it was, but the idea that oneness is not sameness, that mm. we can be a, a one community without having to all be the same or think the same or be the same. Yes. Um, and I feel like there was an element of what Paul was telling those two people of, you know, you're not, yeah. you're not the same, but you That's can right. be together uh, in Christ and be working together, um, as, as, you know, as one community together. Yeah. It's yeah. really interesting. That was his message. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Ed. And thank you to all of our wonderful attendees and participants today. Yes, indeed. We're so grateful for you being with us and asking such amazing questions. This really wouldn't be the same without you. So thank you. Yeah. And we will see you again next week. Yes, we will. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thanks to everyone. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.